Welcome to the QAV podcast. If you're brand new, I just want to introduce the podcast a little bit so you know what you're getting yourself into. If you've listened to the show before, feel free to just fast forward a minute or two. If you're brand new, here's the deal. Uh, my name's Cameron Riley. Tony Kynaston is an old friend of mine. He's a very successful share market investor. I'm talking very, very, very successful. He's been doing it 30 years. He's one of the best in the country in terms of a private investor. Very good uh, track record over 30 years. And what this podcast is about is Tony basically teaches me everything that he knows about investing in the stock market. And you get to listen. But if you're coming into this for the first time, you'll find that this episode, the current episodes, assume a certain level of prior knowledge. We assume that you know what we're talking about, his system, his methodology, which we explain in earlier episodes. So feel free to listen if you want to get the vibe for what's going on, but some of it's not going to make much sense unless you understand what the checklist is, etc. I recommend if you're brand new, you go back and listen to uh, Season 3, Episode 1, Episode 3 and Episode 5, where we go into Tony's background and his system and his methodology in a lot more detail. And then feel free to listen to the contemporary episodes, the current episodes, you'll understand more of the context of what we're talking about. With that, let's get into today's show. Hello? Oh, hello! <laughs> Sorry, it was uh, it was a funny thing happening on my screen. I wasn't seeing the call. I could hear it in my headphones, but I couldn't see it. That doesn't sound that funny. <laughs> anyway, I worked it out. Welcome back to the Sky Palace, Tony Kynaston. How does it feel to be home? Nice, yeah. Uh, it's um it's funny being back in a COVID area and wearing masks when you take an uber and things like that but um it's great to be home with the family it was hard to leave queensland i've got to say i had to mm. rethink it a couple of times um mm. and as you know we stayed on the gold coast and extended twice rather than head down into new south wales yeah uh just because it was you know we couldn't it was um well it was nice weather and nice golf courses and nice restaurants and stuff and Accommodation was cheap, I guess, as a result of lack of tourists from Victoria and New South Wales, and we were having a ball and uh, no COVID, so we thought, let's just stay here as long as we can. Mm. And still managed to not invite me down, so um, I don't know. I don't know know what that means. I don't know what that says about quality of our friendship. I didn't even think about it because we just sort of... There you go. That's even worse. Would have been well, better if you said, be I thought about to... it, and I thought, oh, <laughs> Cam's probably busy, he's probably bored of me now, he doesn't... You know, you could have come up with a better excuse than I didn't even think about you. Come on, man. Well, it was more that we were we were only going to be there for three or four nights, and then we just kept extending, so yeah, uh, we, just, mm. we just winged it. We didn't really have any plans, so yeah, yeah, slipped my mind that you were up there. Sure, sure. Sorry about that. No, that's fine. I know where I stand now. That's good. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, look, we'll, we'll head back and do it. Oh, sorry, can't get across the border. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dang it. Um, well, let's, uh, you got, did you get the notes that I sent you, the link to the notes? Yeah, about five minutes ago, thanks. <laughs> oh, I sent them last night. <laughs> and we only had two last night when they just came in last night. We've got a few more that have come in since then. Um, so thanks to everyone on the Facebook page that sent us some questions. But um, do you want to start with news? What happened to news? 
Yeah, look, I'm getting um, apologies to our, our subscribers who've been following the stock journal and, and it's been chopping and changing. And um, there's been a, a couple of errors that uh, I'm finding it frustrating myself. But um, what happened with news was the calculation for price to operating cash flow was uh, strange. I, I downloaded it the, the day after their results and the download from Stock Doctor had I think the number was 47 as the number of shares. So that must have been 47 million, I guess, or 47 billion. But really, it should have been 470 uh, million. So million. Something, yeah. something went wrong in the data feed, uh, probably going into Stock Doctor, because next day when I downloaded it, uh, it had gone back to 470 million and it wasn't a um, it wasn't within our range for price to operate in cash flow. So mm. oh, that's going to happen from time to time. So... Uh, I, you know, just reiterate what we said last time. If people are thinking about buying something, really go back through the the whole checklist and make sure it um, it passes the uh, the eyeball test as well. The sniff test, yeah. The sniff test, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's impossible. F- I mean, stock doctor uh, stuff by people they can't be expected to be error free. So from time to time, these things may creep in and then the error gets passed on to the checklist if you download yeah. it. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, but doing the sniff test is good. And I tell you, one of the things I was happy about this was how quickly, uh, I think it was Eddie who picked it up in the um, Facebook group and said, hey, hold on a second, are you sure about that? <laughs> uh, which which is great. I mean, yeah. the, Part of the point of having a community of people that are looking at this stuff is that, uh, you know, there's more eyes on it, more brains thinking about it and, um, you know, looking out for each other. So well done, Eddie and everyone else on Facebook. And I think a couple of other points to make is um, the error was picked up the next day because I downloaded it for the next day's downloads and uh, News Corp no longer was a buy. So... You know, that was good. So someone else must have told Stock Doctor or they realised themselves or Reuters or whoever their data feed people are realised the error. So that was fixed. But the second thing I just wanted to reiterate too is this is the first time I'm going through a reporting season using our new QAV master spreadsheet as well. So um, it's really good because it's it's making it much quicker for me to do it. Like I, was, I was only spending, you know, maybe half an hour in the mornings before going off and playing golf to um, to run a download and check for things. Um, which is great because sometimes during company reporting, doing it the old way manually, I could be there for a whole day. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, there'll be a few kinks in the process as we go through. It's our first live run through. But it's, I mean, generally speaking, Stock Doctor data is pretty good. So it is yeah. from what I've seen. So the, the error shouldn't be that much. But I want to say, wasn't Eddie surprisingly? Wasn't Eddie who picked it up? It was David Wallace. Okay. Uh, thank you, David. And then Daryl Woodman jumped in as well. And then I jumped in to go, come on, guys. And then realized I didn't get the same data, re- the, the same result as well. So, uh, yeah, thanks, everyone. Good work. Good stuff, um, which leads us to some of our questions uh, we got this week. Um, uh, Mark, uh, well, I'll start with Mark Mangano. Um Sorry, I've got an Italian manjari. Manjari. I'm, my, my brain's trying to re, re, pronounce that Italian way. Manjari yeah. is eat. So That's I'm like, right. man, and mangino is uh, uh, they eat loro mangino. It's got, we should have an eye in it. So Mark eats 
There you go. That's Mark's name. Mark Eats. Mark, uh, the five-year monthly graph for NWS. I know it's not a buy anymore because of the numbers, but the stock over the last five years consistently crashes sharply at about the same price, which is quite close to right now. If it follows its five-yearly trend, it will crash again soon. Obviously not the perfect use of the three-point trend line, but that graph looked concerning to me. Do you put much stock in uh, what price it's crashed in the past? No, I, I wouldn't. Um, I take Mark's point. It does seem to oscillate. Uh, I'm not sure why. Uh, usually if I see a stock that does that, it's because of dividends, usually. You know, people will buy the stock just before it goes ex-dividend, pushes the price up, and then once it goes ex-dividend, they'll sell the stock and do it again in six months' time. That's often why you see a... Uh, a share graph oscillating like that. I'm just going to look at the dividend for News Corp. Uh, what's it? It's a very small yield of half a percent, so I can't imagine it's dividends doing that. So then it's got to be something else. Um, I don't know News Corp that well to know why its earnings would be periodic, but they could be. Uh, yeah, so don't know. So I wouldn't put too much stock in that uh, up and down, but I'm not going to rule it out either. I'm not that familiar with the, with the stock or its graph. Mm, okay. But, you know, if you saw a graph, like I'm looking at the graph now, mm -hmm. what I see is that it's just breached its byline. Um, and uh, that's it, really. I mean, if it, if it did turn around again, then it would, we would, you know, rethink it. I mean, its cell yeah, line exactly. is, is going to be quite lower than the byline. It's not really a Schrodinger or anything like that, from what I can tell. Cell line... <laughs> Oh, Probably around eighteen dollars. Yeah, eighteen, nineteen, something like yeah. that. And it's currently at twenty one. Breached the buy line at around twenty one, just below twenty one. It's twenty one thirty seven. Um, but if it did turn around quickly, if we bought it and turn around quickly, then we would uh, decide that it uh, we we had to fudge the byline because it uh, didn't get to the end of the month, etc., etc. We you yeah. have bought and then sold quickly in the past when you bought in the middle of the month and by the end of the month it had fallen back below the sell line, uh, byline again. Byline, yeah, correct. Yep. So you don't try and forecast what's going on based on the graph. You just uh, look at the byline and the sell line. Correct. Just follow the graph, yeah. Mm. In Sticking terms of with, its long-term trends anyway. Sticking with NWS Cambo, Cameron Williams, uh, the other Cambo, uh, had some questions. Uh, his first question, importantly, is Bella Nepotina a pure sprinter? What's the next target race? And congrats on breeding a beauty. Is that one of your horses, Bella Nepotina? Yeah. yeah, we were celebrating <laughs> on the weekend. It won a, a Group 3 race at uh, Caulfield uh, in, in great fashion, great style. Um, it's a very fast, fast sprinting horse. So, yes, Cameron, it's a sprinter. And it's going to probably go to uh, the Flemington down the straight in about a month's time. Um, and if we can do well on that, we're going to target the Coolmore with it um, about a month after that. So it's going to have a good spring carnival, we hope. But I yeah, understood. Very, very happy about... and excited by it. And it, it uh, saluted at $27. So uh, all of my mates are very happy too because we all backed it. I understood about three words that you just said in the last <laughs> 60 seconds there, but uh, I assume you and Cameron Williams know what you're talking about, so that's, yep. that's all that matters. Yeah, <laughs> Bella Nipotina, not Nepotina, Nipotina. 
Nipatina. Favourite backers yeah. were out of the business after 200 metres, but Bella Nipatina picked the perfect race to shed her maiden status in Saturday's Group 3 Quisette Stakes, 1,100 metres at Caulfield. That's the one. According to RaceNet. Uh, the $3 favourite Parlophone made Bella Nipotina's task easy when she tried to buck soon after the start, which cost her a few lengths, but winning rider Michael Rod said his mount didn't behave perfectly either. Is that your ride, your jockey, Michael Rod? Uh-huh, yep. Mm. Early in the race, she was a little bit keen. I had to steady her up. She flicked her head up once or twice, but she came back underneath me nicely, Rod said. Well, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. She's very fast, very exciting. And we, we were able to, before the run, to secure a stake in her sister as well, which is a two-year-old, so hopefully she'll have just as much success uh, either later this year or next year. <laughs> and the other good thing is that, uh, like, following on the on this back of this win, our insurance company emailed me and said that they value the, the horse at a million dollars now and we should increase our insurance. Wow. Yeah, so they're obviously trying to get our insurance premiums up, but um, she's worth a lot more now after winning that Group 3 race. I was having a conversation with my son Taylor the other day. Again, he's going on about Bitcoin and, um, you know, still still pissy at you for talking about of investing in Bitcoin when it was at $5,000. It's now at $15,000. And uh, he said, oh, the problem with Tony is he's just uh, not a gambler. And I go, well, he is a gambler. He gambles all the time. He gambles on the horses. He gambles on golf. Uh, he just doesn't. He just doesn't gamble where it matters. <laughs> Would you say that's a fair uh, distinction? Yeah, well, that's right. I like, I like gambling on things where I can do some data analysis first. Right, and you gamble yeah. with play money though too, right? You don't gamble Correct. with your yeah. investment portfolio. You no. gamble with <laughs> God, no, it's play money exactly. Yeah, you yeah. gamble with play money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Although we, I mean, we do have a horse breeding operation, so that's. That's getting to be more than play money now, but um, but that's a business. I mean, not just the, the racing side's you know pretty much gambling, but it still involves data analytics in terms of the breeding. Yeah. Um, but the broodmare side is a is a business. You know, we try and buy, sell, and buy low and sell high. Yeah. Oh. Fantastic. Well, congratulations and thank you for that question, Cameron Williams. Uh, thoughts about Buffett buying into Barrick Gold. Somebody, uh, one of my American other podcast listeners sent me this link and said, oh, you always say that, you know, Buffett doesn't invest in gold. Look, he just invested in gold. I'm like, well, yeah, gold miner. Mm. We invest in yeah, gold I mean, miners too. It's been interesting watching all the uh, the internet go crazy as Buffett bought gold and they're all tweeting his past statements about gold not being, you know, a good investment and if a Martian looked down to the earth, he'd scratch his head because you'd see someone dig up gold in Africa and then bury it in America and stand guard around it and couldn't work out what that was, you know, what, what kind of benefit there was in doing that. Uh, but he's, Buffett's doing what we're doing. And, and I picked up a quote from Forbes. So I'll just read it out now. This is about why the author of this article was saying why uh, Barrick Gold was a classic value buy. The, the price earnings ratio for Barrick Gold is 11, which puts it substantially below the Schiller PE for the S&P 500, sitting at 31 right now. To compare and contrast this with hot big name growth stocks, Amazon has a PE of 121 and Tesla is 849, just to pick out two popular well-known wow. NASDAQ favourites. 
The barrack peg ratio is 0.82. That's the price to earnings ratio divided by the miners expected earnings. Coming in at less than one puts it in the company of the undervalued. Earnings have been solid for Barrick, excellent in fact for this year and very good over the past five years. The stock trades at two times book, higher than perhaps Benjamin Graham might pay, but definitely in the value stock realm, especially when compared to the book value of growth stock names. Uh, what else is likable about Barrick if you're an old-fashioned value investor? Well, it pays a dividend of 1.04%. Not a spectacular amount to be sure, but reassuring and comfortable to a fund like Berkshire Hathaway, no doubt. That the stock is highly liquid with an average daily volume of almost 18 million shares make it, makes it relatively easy to get in and out of for the large investor. Buffett and Munger must feel relaxed about owning a mining firm that trades big volumes on the New York Stock Exchange. So I read that and I thought, <laughs> this guy's just gone down a checklist, hasn't he really? Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Named all the things that we look at. So it's the same reason we're buying gold miners in Australia. The uh, difference being mines. he's buying a business. Correct. That mines gold, not buying gold that he's going to yes. sit on. He's buying a business. Correct, yeah. Uh, for those people who haven't read the, uh, the news and are wondering what the hell we're going on about, uh, Berkshire Hathaway bought a big position in uh, Barrick Gold, uh, 20.9 million shares in Barrick Gold, worth about 563.6 US million. And uh, following the disclosure... The stock surged 8.1% to $29.18 in aftermarket trading. So, yeah, the Buffett effect. Yeah, it is. Yeah, he's, he's yeah, always bemoaned the Buffett effect. And he uh, goes out of his way to try and hide his trades and using different brokers, etc. Or brokers he can trust will keep it quiet. Uh, but it is required, I think, every quarter to disclose what he's been buying and selling in, his, in Berkshire Hathaway. And that's when... People have a, a peek at what he's been doing and then try and jump on the train. So why does he try and dissuade people from jumping on? Not not trying to dissuade them. He's trying to just uh, cover his his buys because, uh, well, first of all, he might not he may take some time to build a position. And if he's if people are seeing oh, that right. he's starting to buy shares in Barrick Gold, then he, he yeah. has to pay more for Barrick Gold as well. Yeah, right. That's yeah. That's the first reason. The second reason is. You know, just a sense of fair play. He'd rather tell everyone at once what he's doing rather than have you know people who are you know trying to detect what he's doing get an edge. Right, mm. makes sense. So yes, Buffett bought a gold miner, and um, yeah, it's not not unusual for us. Not hard to understand, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Because mm. he's buying a business. Yeah. 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 Uh, Okay, uh, and then Cam also asked about NWS. Uh, does it talk about NWS? Does it raise any doubt about uh, about other buys on the list in your journal? I guess. Um, well, yeah. What yeah, you, well, we covered it. If you before you buy uh, anything, go back and check the checklist yourself. Um, eyeball every column and make sure they make sense to you. Yeah. Mm. Guess it just uh, is worth uh, us r- realizing that stock doctor data can be uh, uh, dodgy. Yeah, I, mean, I think I'll, I think I'll take more time now. I mean, I've been rushing over the holidays while I've been away, but I'll try and double check everything a bit closer before I um, put out the stock journal now as well. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for every. Thank you again to everyone for uh, keeping an eye on that. Uh, 
our mate Paul also in Sydney. It's great. I said I need some questions. Our, our two regular Sydney dinner guys, Cam and Paul, yeah. boom, straight on it. Good guys. Uh, Paul, yeah, Cam, what's a stapled security? IFN, previously on our list, is listed as a stapled security. I seem to remember years ago, heaps of mum and dad investors getting into trouble with a Brisbane infrastructure project as the shares were stapled and required further payments of money. Does TK have any experience? Do you know what a stapled security is, Tony? Yeah, it's where it's where the company structure uh, or the organisational structure of a company uh, probably has some kind of trust involved as well. And this could be for historical reasons, like if the company was taken over by a trust or it could be you know, merged with a trust or it could be just uh, straight tax reduction reasons. Um, like a trust might be over, overseas domiciled in a, in a tax haven. Uh, but stapling means that when you buy the share, you're also buying a part of the trust. So you're buying shares in in two two corporate structures. One is a company and one is a trust. I'm not that familiar with Infogen Energy, but I'm just looking at a, a part of their annual report which describes their corporate structure. And what it says is that a security holder is buying... Uh, Units in the Infogen Energy Trust, shares in Infogen Energy Limited, and shares in Infogen Energy Bermuda Limited, uh, which are those three things at the same time when you're buying a share on the stock exchange, and those three corporate structures own the energy assets underneath. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a, you don't see it happen very often, um, and it usually does involve some kind of, uh, uh, tax reason or legacy reason, so I'm not sure why they're doing that for Infogen. I'm not that familiar with their trust structure. The the other thing to be aware of is that, uh, uh, and I've had this happen to me before, and it's funnily enough, it's happened with other energy companies. Uh, I don't, maybe this is, this is common in the energy field, but they'll send you an annual tax statement. So, for example, when you get your dividend, uh, you may not have to pay tax on that dividend immediately because of the structure of the uh, of the stapled securities and the nature of the trusts involved um, in some cases it might come off the capital uh, it might come off the or add to the base when calculating capital gains tax but it's really not an area I'm that familiar with and you'll get um, Paul should get if he's a holder in Infogen Energy an annual tax statement and he should give that to his accountant because uh, it, it can be quite arcane as for putting in more money i'm not familiar with this the brisbane infrastructure project he was talking about but um, i don't think there'll be any more contributions required for infogen energy security holders i'm pretty sure this has been set up for for um, tax uh, benefits rather than for any sort of uh, you know required further payment structures so no reason to keep an eye out for these as far as you're concerned when we're evaluating a stock um, no, no. All the ones I've been involved with have, have just operated like a normal uh, corporation, normally like just like you're buying a share on the on the ASX. But the only difference is they'll send you a, um, a, a tax statement every year and tell you how to treat the income from dividends um, uh, and what to do with any franking credits. You may not be able to claim those if it's an overseas ownership. And oftentimes it's prorated, so you maybe a third of the franking credits you can claim and two thirds you can't or whatever the ratio is of the underlying corporate structure. Okay. Well, thank you, Paul. 
Paul also wants to know if your average annual return is 19.5%, what was your worst year? Yeah, um, I'll call up my spreadsheet, but just I would think it would be the GFC. So I'm looking at, yep, it is. So 0708 for me was, and this is financial year, was minus 19.9%. And then 0809, the very next year, was minus 31%. So basically I wiped out half my capital during the GFC. Oh, my God. But then in 09, 09.10, I, I achieved 115%. So, you know, <laughs> it all came back. <laughs> wow. So those two years when it was down, were you, yeah. uh, were you like, worried or were you calm? Uh, I was calm, um, upset in that, in that, you know, it was... Um, it, it, well, I shouldn't say upset. I, I was... Um, that was when I started to look around for a way to stop it from happening again. And, and right. I came across the three-point the three-point trend line process. Ah. So, so those so you years weren't before the three-point You weren't trend line. selling as quickly then as you would now? Correct, yeah. I, I was more of a buy-and-hold person back then. Ah. And, and rode them down. Um, and I also remember, too, uh, at that time, after the first sort of dip in the market, I started to buy, and, and that went down again further, so that was part of the problem. Um, but by 2009 and 10, uh, when I think it was the March results in 2009, I was just, just knocked out by how undervalued the companies were and how good buying they were. So I geared up and, and bought back into the market as heavily as uh, I could. Uh-huh. Hmm. So, yeah, so that was the worst. Um, so since it, it, it's always going to be lumpy. Since then, you know, I've had 32% one year, 0.8% the next, 39% one year, 65 6.6, 14.3, uh, what, 12.4, 1.2, minus 10%, and then 14.2. So it's um, it's never going to be a straight line, 20%. Uh, but yeah, the, the worst years were in the GFC. And then the best year was the one immediately after, after the GFC. Yeah, that's right. Wow. And so those numbers that you just read out, um, on average, how do they track against the all odds uh, during that period? Okay. Are they, so let me just you, find my all odds. Yep. Hold on. All odds. So for those same years, so uh, in 07, 08, the all odds was down 13%, and then it was down 20%. So I underperformed the all odds during the GFC because I was down 20 and 30 and then the following year, though, the all odds rose by 13.8%, and I was up 115. And then uh, following that, I was up 32, the all odds was up 12. I was up 0.8, the all odds was down 7. I was up 39, the all odds was up 21. Uh, I underperformed the next year, I was at 6.5, all odds was at 19.3. Following year, 6.6 versus 5.6 for the all odds, 14.3 versus 2% for the all odds. 12.4 for me, 13.1 for the All Lords. 1.2 for me, 13.8 for the All Lords. Uh, minus 10 for me, 11% for the All Lords. Up 14, minus 7 for the All Lords. And probably in those last few years, though, remember in my portfolio, I'm, I took money out to uh, to buy a house and renovate it and that kind of thing too. So there was a bit of lumpiness in there for other things. Right. So... You sounds like out of that list, you've underperformed the all odds maybe five 
times, five years. Let me have a look. And then so, outperformed it quite well a couple of times and a little bit a couple of times. But that that big 115% year was like that one year really set you up. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Yep. And Which, the following um, year too was up 32 compared to the all was up 12. So that, that sort of 09 through to 2011 was a big, big returning time for me. So that uh, sort of reflects uh, something, uh, I can't remember whose book it was now, whether it was Tobias, I think it might have been his book, talking about how when you look at the, I think he was looking at the S&P or something like that over a 20, 30 year period, that a lot of the growth in that tended to come in spurts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, One year here, one year there. And if you, this is a, gets back to the it's the time in the market not timing the market thing if you're not in the market in that year you <laughs> miss all of that growth that's uh, the biggest year that it'll have in the decade yeah and if you think if thinking back to the psychology of 09 and 10 uh, when I got 115 percent the market was up 13.8 that came after two years of the GSC where you know most people were absolutely just hammered and were getting out of the market for good uh, yeah, that was when my father rang up and said, what should I do with my finances? All my mates are selling up their shares and putting them in the bank. Um, that was the kind of pervasive mentality at the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you, you do have to you know, be very contrarian and be guided by the figures. Like I said, like I, you know, after, after two years of seeing half my portfolio disappear, you, you have to have just the strength of character and the trust in your process that when... When you do open the spreadsheet and you say, wow, there's now 50 stocks and they're all so undervalued, I want to borrow more money to buy these stocks, that you do it, that you don't worry about the fact that it's just come after the GFC. You, you know, you get in. Balls of steel is what I think you're saying, Tony. You need to have <laughs> balls of steel. <laughs> is, that, is that the title for this episode? <laughs> Ball, balls of steel. Yeah, and subtitle is Stay Away From Magnets. <laughs> I don't know. Sounds kind of sexy. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. <clears throat> so I guess I'm I'm sort of um, sh- I'm shocked in a way that like the it isn't as consistent. Like there are years that you did underperform the all odds. Um, but, uh, you know, there was big performance, massive performance in a couple of years, which yeah. makes all the difference. I guess... Yeah, I think... Sorry. The way my, sorry, I mean, the way my brain tends to work, I tend to think of it as being more of a consistent outperforming, but it's uh, lumpy, as you said. It's lumpy, but, but I think also, too, those couple of those outperforming years were due to cash going in and out for other things. So if I, I think I've spoken before, if I look at my super fund... Ah, right. Which is a self-contained sort of hermetically sealed fund. In those years where, in particularly the last few years where I was moving money around to buy houses and things like that. Uh, So that year when, so for example, 1718, I got 1.2%, the share market got 13.8, but the super fund got 16.5. Right. So you're applying the same... Um, strategy to the super fund, but you, you can't take any money out of that, so it's yeah more consistent. Yes, it's, it's uh, the results are um, 
more indicative of the share investing process. Well, they're the numbers you should be reading out to me, not the other numbers. The other numbers are meaningless. <laughs> no, they're not. Well, except for the last couple of years, they've you know been been all shares or or mostly shares, you know, ninety five percent shares. It's only it's only when we came back from Canada that I had uh, I had to take some money out of the share portfolio to to buy an apartment here while we were waiting for our house, our house to sell in Canada. So yeah, that sort of that so sort of two two around. years ago. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, but, but generally, uh, well, it's not always. I'm just looking at the numbers now. Um, so, for example, 0708, the super fund did even worse than, than I did overall. So it was down 47% in 2007, 2008, and then a further 33%. So it was down to almost nothing. Why um, would that be? Uh, just the same reason as, as overall shares. So I was down 20%, then 31%. So... Um, same process. It just must have, might have been a different, you know, slightly different mix of shares in the super fund that crashed right, more right, in the GFC. Right. But in the following year, the super fund's up 101%, and, and we were up 115% overall. So, you know, it was relatively the same sorts of numbers. So how does um, that work? So, sorry, how does that work out? So if you started with a uh, million dollars and you dropped 47% one year, and so you're down to half a mil... Yep, and then you dropped thirty percent the next year. Thirty percent of the half a mil. Yep, that's right. Right. So then so you're yeah. down to three fifty. Three fifty, and mm-hmm. then up a hundred percent. You're only back to seven hundred. You're still Correct. below the the mil you started with, right? Yeah, but then the following year was up thirty percent. So then you're back up to the mil. So right. there was a four there was a four year period where I basically just marked time, even right. though there was lots of gyrations going on. Yeah, um, and and that's how I've always viewed the GFC. It's not a loss of capital; it's a loss of time. That's sort of one one doubling of the growth cycle that we're missing out on in our life as investors. Yeah, uh, and that's and that's why you know I wanted to find a way of trying to stop that happening again, which is um, you know where I landed on the three point trend cycle process. Right. So that the the sort of hundred and fifteen percent year was just really getting back to where you were before the GFC. Yeah, that one in the year after. Yeah, yeah. So that just got got you back to got you yeah. back to zero, just really. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> wow. Well, but a lot of people know, didn't. They took the hit and they stayed out. That was the yeah. worst thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. But also, you know, I like the fact that you use that as a, a learning opportunity to figure out how to avoid those sorts of declines in the future and we're all getting the benefit of that mm. that's the cell line breach basically correct yes yeah yeah because yeah, i think we've been through it before if you look at say the banks um you could see that their decline went on for two years right but if we had gotten out when the cell line was breached um, we could have used that money somewhere else or even put it in cash yeah for, for 18 months or so and then come back in at the right time. So speaking about your average return, Eddie says, I recall TK saying his return was around 8% for 2019-2020, one of your recent podcasts. Does that mean his average is now down to 19% over 25 years? Good question. It is, Eddie. That's well spotted. So it's it's down to 18.9% as of the end of the financial year. 189 so you'll have to take down all those banner headlines saying we get 19.5, but it's down to 18.9 now. No, not taking it 
<laughs> and I think the other thing oh. to, to realise is that uh, uh, the the last numbers are probably the most important numbers because they're the they're the tail that wags the dog overall. So, for example, you know, if, if I've got ten million dollars of shares and my performance is ten percent, then uh, that's a that's a million dollar increase, um, which which is less than what I've been getting on average, and so that drops the the average performance down heavier than if we and the same same goes in reverse if i had gotten 30 percent then uh, that would have beefed up the the moving average on in the long term because that because you're dealing with larger and larger sums of money as you progress through the periods whatever the most recent result is is going to have a bigger effect on the overall average yeah right yeah so it drops from 19.5 to 18.9 because last year was a um eight percent year although i think it's I think I went back and looked at that again. It's actually a ten percent year, right? But when the bank statements came in, yep. Yeah. <clears throat> if you did the numbers like from today, going back twenty five years, you've already had a lot of growth, obviously, in the last few months. Um, the yeah, but that's been buoyant. Those numbers are from the end of June, I think. End of June, those numbers are. So yeah, there yeah. could be some more growth into it this year. Yep. Market's been pretty buoyant in the last six weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Uh, to to uh, stick it with Paul's questions, he asks if we can invest in Apollo tourism again because they got some... <laughs> <laughs> there was a... I saw this article in the Financial Review again this morning. Golden yeah. Age beckons for $23 billion caravan industry. And I went, oh, God, no. <laughs> Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. For the brand new folks, I want you to know that each week we have a free episode and a premium episode. Free episode runs about half an hour. Premium episode usually runs for an extra half hour to an hour, depending on how many questions we have from our audience that week, because we spend a lot of that time answering questions. Uh, If you want to check out the premium episodes, you can go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au and sign up for the two-week free trial. You get to have a look at the uh, premium episodes. You get to have a look at the checklist, the getting started guide, all of the video content that we have. Uh, You get invited to our VIP dinners and our VIP Zoom calls for club members. You get to ask Tony questions that we can answer. You get to get invited to our uh, Facebook group, our private Facebook group, etc., etc. And also uh, we get a, a... private uh, club member newsletter each week we send out as well with some stuff in it so check that out qavpodcast.com.au but as i said if you're brand new and you want to you're trying to figure out what's going on go back and listen to season three episodes one three and five 301 303 and 305 and then you might also want to go back and listen to season one as well all of the free episodes in season one where we go into a lot of detail about tony's system and methodology and figure out if this is right for you, if it's something that you want to go further with, if you want to learn how to invest like Tony does, then you can check out the uh, QAV Club. Uh, The other thing I always have to say is we're not financial advisors, so don't take anything you hear on this as financial advice. This is just here to teach how one guy invests and thinks about investing. If you need financial advice or tax advice, please go see a financial advisor or a tax advisor. Uh, With that, stay safe, good luck with your investing, and we'll be back next week.